Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 11th November with me, Ian Welsh. As you may recall from last week, when I was at the Innovation Forum Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities Conference in Amsterdam, I spoke with some of the conference participants about what they were taking away from the two days of discussion. And so, coming up a little later, are conference insights from Golden Agri-Resources Anita Neville, Mighty Earth's Glenn Horowitz and Everland's Josh Tosterson. We heard a lot at the conference about the potential for regenerative agriculture and the importance of soil health. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke with Alberto Asido, co-founder and chief scientific officer at agtech company Biome Maker, to find out more about its bee crop soil testing solution. That's coming up a little later too. And if you get a chance, please do take our Innovation Forum Trend Survey. We've worked hard to make it easy to take part and quick to complete. And there's a link in the podcast description. Those taking part will get exclusive early access to the results and our take on the trends for 2023. Now, though, it's time for some sustainable business news. The UN COP27 Climate Summit at Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt kicked off this week with a discussion about compensation for poorer nations for the mounting impacts of climate change, a previously controversial topic. Known as loss and damage, proposals for a financing body were blocked at COP26 last year in Scotland by wealthier nations including the US and the countries of the EU. However, the ongoing series of developing world climate crises, not least the recent flooding in Pakistan, seems to have focused minds, and the COP27 delegates have agreed to a process of discussion of funding for loss and damage intended to reach definite conclusions by 2024. Big Oil will inevitably come under pressure to make significant contributions to any loss and damage fund. New report from Global Justice Now argues that Chevron, ExxonMobil, BP, Shell and Total on their own should be paying $65 billion a year based on their contribution to climate change. Watch this space. Also on the early COP agenda was talks on climate finance more broadly, including funds for cutting emissions and climate adaptation. On the latter, the UK proposed climate resilient debt clauses in government-backed export credit insurance, which would allow for a halt in debt payments for two years from nations impacted by a climate-related disaster to provide funds to deal with the immediate crisis. This was welcomed by the prominent proponent of financial system reforms, Mia Motley, Prime Minister of Barbados. The COP27 summit continues until Friday 18th November at least, and there will be more analysis in the podcast of the outcomes from Sharm el-Sheikh over the coming weeks. There is an urgent need to change global agricultural practices or risk serious planetary consequences, according to a new report released just ahead of the COP meetings from a Sustainable Markets Initiative task force. The pace of change, switching to sustainable agricultural practices, has been far too slow and must triple by 2030 for there to be any chance whatsoever of keeping to a 1.5 Celsius warming pathway. The report highlights that regenerative practices focusing on soil health, emissions reductions and water use now cover 15% of crop lands. The task force includes some big names such as Bayer, McDonald's, Ulam, PepsiCo and Mars. A priority is to make the short-term economic case for change more enticing for grower communities and to push for alignment for all players in the agri-sector behind a rapid shift to more sustainable practices. There is a brewing spat between the EU and Indonesian timber exporters over a seeming moving of the goalposts by the EU over verification standards timber must meet before entry into the European bloc. Under the terms of a voluntary agreement signed in 2011, Indonesia developed a system to verify the legality of timber exports to the EU. The EU in turn agreed to recognise this system and allowed Indonesia to issue the correct licences for timber products destined for the EU. 
However, the implementation of new due diligence import standards may mean that such timber will still be subject to further checks to ensure it is not the product of deforestation. As reported by Conservation News website Mongabay.com, Indonesian companies say that they found the process of complying with the existing verification process arduous and are not happy that there are further barriers to overcome potentially. The number of the issue appears to be that as far as Indonesian exporters are concerned, the earlier agreement required that proven legally sourced timber should get green lane access to the EU and that the proposed due diligence rules will mean that this would no longer be the case. If the EU and Indonesia are unable to resolve the issue, it could eventually be referred to the World Trade Organization, something that other timber exporter nations are rumoured to be considering as well. While I was in Amsterdam last week at the Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities Conference, I managed to grab a few minutes with some of the conference panel participants. Coming up now are some quick-fire comments from Golden Agri Resources' Anita Neville, Mighty Earth's Glenn Horowitz and Everland's Josh Tosterson. I'm with Anita Neville from Golden Agri Resources. Welcome, Anita. Hi, Ian. You made a really interesting point in the session just now here at the conference. You said that the last two decades have been about conservation, but the next two decades are going to be about people. Why is that? I think the reality is that over the last two decades there's been a huge amount of investment and focus on how we tackle environmental issues and specifically in the palm sector and for actually a lot of agri-commodities, deforestation. How do we prevent it? How do we spot it? And then how do we prevent it? And what that has resulted in, apart from no deforestation, no peat, no exploitation commitments, has been greater investment in satellite technology, monitoring and transparency initiatives, and then the follow-up mechanisms to act on whatever alerts come out of those systems. We haven't seen in the same period a sort of corresponding investment in the people side of the equation. And I think what we're starting to see now is like this pinch point where actually for the last sort of 10% of deforestation that we need to tackle in these agri-commodities and particularly in palm, the real challenge is people-oriented. It's about poverty and inequality and social justice organisations tend to be very localised and fragmented and they haven't campaigned in quite the same way as their environmental cousins, but I think that's changing. We're seeing that with Modern Slavery Act in Britain, with human rights due diligence legislation coming through in Europe and the US. And so I think the next two decades is really going to be about how we solve for people. I think you're absolutely right. We're seeing so many of the solutions that are coming out, perhaps in carbon finance, for example. All the solutions are talking about being people-centric and bottom-up, dealing with the people on the ground in digital communities. Let's hope that next time we talk about these things, we're talking about even more people-based solutions. I really hope so. I hope I have many more things to tell you about what we're doing at GAR in this space. Anita Neville, many thanks. My pleasure. I'm with Mighty Earth's Glenn Horowitz. Welcome, Glenn. Good to be back with you, Ian. We've just been talking about, obviously, deforestation over the last couple of days, and you made a really interesting point in the session just now. You said that on deforestation, it's important to have a positive agenda and to be starting things, not just stopping things. Yep. What do you mean by that, and how do you think see this moving forward? I think, first of all, we have to recognize the enormous success that has happened, especially with the Southeast Asian commodities. Palm oil, pulp and paper, rubber have all experienced above 90% declines in deforestation. I think not enough people know about this. This is a gigaton scale climate success, millions of acres conserved. So that's really great. But the reality is there's 50,000 square miles of forest that have been destroyed over the last few decades to expand area for production. 
production of these commodities. Uh, these companies, these industries have a huge legacy to make up. There's so many degraded lands across the tropic, 125 million hectares that could be and should be restored. That can suck a lot of carbon out of the air. So far, we've had the success in stopping deforestation, but not actually making this positive contribution to actually rewild the planet. And that's what we hope both companies and governments will contribute to. That could make an enormous difference. You're absolutely right. Glenn Horowitz, thanks very much indeed. Thanks so much. Joining me is Josh Austin from Everland. Welcome, Josh. Thank you, Ian. Great to be here. We've just been talking about the voluntary carbon markets. Why don't you give us a snapshot of where the voluntary carbon markets are right now? The voluntary carbon markets are really in an extraordinary place. We've seen an explosion of demand over the last couple of years, and it couldn't come at a better time in relationship to the Glasgow Leaders' Declaration to end deforestation by 2030. Unprecedented amounts of finance are flowing in for forest protection at a community level, and this is really a game changer. Is the supply going to keep up with the demand, though? My hope is that the demand, and hope is not a strategy, our strategy is to leverage that demand to create as much supply as quickly as possible because that's what the world needs. Where are these projects that are going to drive these carbon credits and verified emission reductions, where are these projects going to be located? Well, there are threatened landscapes all over the world, in the Americas, in the Amazon, in the Congo, in the Asian rainforests and through transformative partnerships like the one between Hartree and Wildlife Works Carbon with $2 billion committed, Wildlife Works, one of the premier developers of the world, can go to governments and communities with full financing into threatened landscapes and offer something that is a really compelling alternative. So that's a template for the kind of thing that can be scaled up right now. Well, the shoe has a lot to do, but Josh Shoston from Everland, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Ian. Appreciate it. And there will be more conference insights next week. While we may just have wrapped up the Innovation Forum event season for 2022, the team are working hard on developing the 2023 conferences. In the spring, we'll be discussing responsible sourcing and ethical trade, sustainable apparel and textiles, the future of food and business and climate action on scope three emissions. More details on all of that will be released over the coming weeks. But do go to the Innovation Forum website for all the latest information and how to register at launch rate discounts. Farmers and food producers have made ambitious commitments to sustainable farming and to improving soil health, but in many cases these efforts are not sufficiently rewarded. The problem often is a lack of clear evidence of positive impacts on soil. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke with Alberto Acido, co-founder and chief science officer at BioMaker. We talked in particular about the company's B-Crop solution for testing soil health. Give me a bit of background to yourself, Alberto, and what inspired you to co-found BioMakers. Well, Ian, I'm uh, super passionate about how to interpret DNA. My first stage in the career was to analyze human health and how use DNA to diagnostic specific diseases and help the people. When we decide to apply this knowledge to the agriculture, we believe that there is a kind of organism that is the earth, is the soil, and we can use the same approach, DNA, to decoding that information to provide a diagnostic and also try to find the right solution. Why? At personal level, my family was growing a long time, and especially for my small village in Spain, many times in summer, we cannot drink water because the excess of nitrogen that they are adding to the field, especially to grow corn. For that reason, for me, is a personal level, um, also for a passionate level to apply technology, uh, start to work in, in agriculture and develop technology in this field. What does biomakers do? 
Biomakers is a company that started seven years ago focusing in one direction, try to provide metrics about soil health in order to improve the sustainability in agriculture. Because we understand that in the past 40 years, more than the knowledge applied to the soil lost the information of the biology. And that loss of information has a big impact into destroyed arable soil. FAO metrics say that more than one third of arable soil were destroyed in the last 30 years. And probably it's because that lack of metrics. So a third of soils have been destroyed in the last 30 years? Yeah, that's a horrible metric because, you know, human population is growing. We need soil to grow food. 95% of the food directly or indirectly come from the soil. If we are losing soil, how we can feed the world for the future generations? That's one of the key questions for the future. Do you think that there's a growing realization that soil health is being ignored for too long? Is one of the dimensions of the soil health is ignored. For example, people describe, especially researchers, describe soil health. There is three different dimensions. Physical dimension, that is something that we can measure, texture of the soil, for example. More sandy soil can be less applicable, for example, to agriculture. Chemical properties, nutrients that can feed the plants, but the lack of information was the biology. Maybe because the technology was not ready maybe because the biology was not the focus to grow food in the soil. But now we have the technology and also we can apply that knowledge to decoding that soil indicator. One of the links between soil and humans is we need microbes. Two kilograms of our body are microbes that allow us to feed our system, to digest the food that we are eating every day. The same by the plants. The roots on the plant is the digestive system for them. And microbes are needed, and that symbiosis is needed to feed the growth of the plants. Tell us a bit about your bee crop technology then. Well, bee crop technology is about a system like a standard that we are applying around the world, always in the same way, that have two different dimensions. First, to identify all the microbes that are living in the soil, all the taxa population. But for the other hand, decoding that information to translate that information to a specific soil health indicator. When I'm thinking in soil health indicators using biology, I'm thinking in four different dimensions. First, biodiversity. Biodiversity is key. If we lose biodiversity, we lose the genetic potential of the soil. Second is nutrition. We need to have indicators to feed the plant and how the microbes are helping the plants to get that nutrition. Stress adaptation, you know, climate change is very important right now. And we know that there is a specific microbes that allow to the plants to resist about the drought, about a change in temperatures, etc. And the last thing that is not less important is diseases. Most of the pathogenic diseases that is affecting the plants and soil-borne diseases specialized fungi. The equilibrium on these specific pathogens allow us to create big problems in the production. And for me, that's the four different dimensions that biology can cover in soil health. How then is this related to outputs from the farm? Do you relate this then to yields, to benefits for the farmers? Well, in this case, there are different dimensions. Yield is more in the link of the nutritional part. But for example, many people now is focused on stress. How stress is impacting the growth of the plant, specialized in Mediterranean countries, for example, because there is affecting with a lot of the differences in temperature or drought. But there are other components no, that we are delivering. In our case, 
the microbes are these specific indicators that are helping. But our clients are focused in a specific kind of questions. GIL is one of them for sure. Diseases is the other. And also how to apply new management practice that allow them to improve the production and also the quality of the production. Not only more is better, also the quality is important. And here there is another concept of soil health, linked with human health. Everything starts in the soil, then you can change the properties of the food, and we are getting that food to grow <laughs> our population. That for, is the connection between soil health also and human health. Important. Give us a bit of insight on how your technology can change agriculture and set new standards for soil health, for example. We have a specific examples linked, for example, with the productivity. Many people is thinking that adding more chemicals, more NPK to the field, allow to get more yield. Sometimes this is not true because if that can be applied always, all the people now could can get high yields. But that's not the reality. For that reason, there is microbes need to use that source of elements to feed the plants. Now we are understanding the people that maybe they don't need to add more NPK, decrease, for example, the contamination of the soil, but they need to feed a specific microbes that allow to the plant to get the nutrient that is available on the soil. This is a super nice example that we find in many, many places from olives to strawberries to potatoes many times. Understanding how to use the natural biology of different places in one direction is important, for example, in this case, to decrease contamination. Other typical example is many people say, oh, what happened in my field? I'm trying to grow this field always in the same techniques, but we are not getting the same result. Well, sometimes it's because in one part of your field, some pressure of diseases happen. One specific example was in vineyards when we find that the one specific phenotype of diseases was very problematic and close to the block in, in the same road with that symptomatology. And we find that in that place is leading a specific beneficial biocontrol species that are controlling the pathogens. Taking that knowledge in consideration allowed to develop new solutions to solve problems. That's how the technology, big crop technology, is helping most of the farmers. Tell me a little bit about how a new customer would work with you. What do you do in terms of the testing and ongoing relationship with the farmer? Well, in general, we are approaching specifically farmers, agronomists, because are the people that is helping the farmers. And these kind of people try to understand what are the specific needs that can be classified like in three, no, diseases, management or yield. No? That's the specific dimensions that they are on interest, depending on the crop, depending on the location of the place. Also, they need to show sustainability. You know that now regenerative agriculture is one of the trending topics around the world. People try to change the management to be more sustainable. The typical question is, well, first, what's the status of my soil? Because this is new dimension that I never test before. This is something that I don't study in university. This is something new for me. First, try to understand what is the state. Second question is, okay, you are getting me a diagnostic of the soil based on diseases, based on stress, based on nutrition. What's next? In this case, we have another kind of clients that are the 
people that is developing solutions for farmers. And farmers need to choose what is the right solutions to fix that specific diagnostic that we are providing. Well, we are partnership with these kind of companies to understand what is the effect of these products. Because the key question is the effectiveness of the solutions. Sometimes the solutions can provide a super nice effect. In other case, because the environment, because the biology, something is happening and you cannot get the specific effect that you are looking for. Well, we are trying to understand what are the impact of the different solutions on the field and then try to help the farmers and the agronomists into choice the right solution. This is the new developments that we are approaching in short term. One of the tools that you use or one of the things you measure is the bee crop rate. Can you tell us what that is? Well, beaker rate was a metric that many people was demanding in the last years because, you know, there is different farming systems. In the past, we classify the farming system in conventional or organic. No, that's the typical that many people understand. But now there is a new way of farming systems like regenerative farming system, climate farming system. Well, different dimensions that cover different practices and solutions that are applied to the manage of the field. In this case, many people tell us, please, I need a metric, a unique value to show that I'm improving the field, I'm improving the soil, I'm feeding the biology of my field when I'm changing my practices. And also how different are my practices that other practices that have other people in place and how can be interesting to position my production in a different value. Maybe I'm not in a certification system, but I'm very honest or very proud that I'm doing a super nice management practices. For that reason, we start to anticipate or develop a solution, a metric based on biology that can be quickly changed because when you apply something to the field, that metric can change very quick. And it's bicrop rate. Bicrop rate try to understand the intensity of the farming system that a farmer is doing in any place, in any crop, and to be able to compare that metric or show that metric to the world. That's how we understand that we can provide value. And specifically, if you are able to buy some food that can be managed in a super nice way, try to get a metric to define that. That's why we developed a bicrop rate using a super nice technology that is machine learning supervised together with soil microbiome analytics. No? It's something that we were testing from different clients in the last two years. And also we published a demonstration, especially in vineyards globally. And it's a super nice peer review scientific work. So you can link your bee crop rate metric to the farm sustainability? Exactly, because when the level of intensive farming is very high, the bee crop rate metric is in most of the case more lower that if your level of intensity farming, if you are more organic, more regenerative, or more biodynamic in your practices, in your management, the rate system is in general higher than in conventional. And also because it's numeric, you can follow how that number is growing because the implementation of that practices, or in one moment you decide to add something that is needed for the for your production, like crop protection product that can decrease a bit your rate. You can control how much is decreasing that specific metric and how you can recover that level of sustainability in, in short term. 
Another question that many people is asking me is if Victor Braid is linked with the carbon sequestrations or metrics. Well, we are always in that research because it's not easy. But in general, if carbon sequestration is linked with an improvement of management practices and management practices are linked with the bigger rate, there is an indirect correlation that we are now trying to demonstrate in order to get at quantitative level of carbon sequestering to the bigger rate metric. Farmers and growing communities are continually asked to do many different things by their customers. So why should they start measuring their sustainability using your solution rather than anyone else's? Well, in general, I always advise that at the end of the season is the right moment, for example, for the bigger rate metric of sustainability, because you can get a summary of all the actions that you are putting on the field during the season. No, that's the perfect moment. And also is a kind of metric that you need to measure year per year. It's not made sense that if you are adding something and try to measure again. For the other hand, that is another question that many farmers is asking us, is about the level of resolution, how many samples I need to collect depending on my field, depending on my crop, depending on my locations. Well, in general, is we need to have a representative number of samples of the field that need to be cost effective. No, in that case, it's, it's not necessary too much samples. It's necessary to collect samples and aggregate samples together in order to get a super nice representation of the field. So what's the potential then for bee crop technology? What do you sense is that where this is going to go? Looking at the trends, I can tell you that in general, Bicrobrate now is decoding that levels of information and many developments of solutions are taken away of that specific metrics in order to develop new solutions to cover that needs. Because we have collecting metrics globally, now we have that trends that what is the level of incidence of this pathogen, of this disease, this potential improvement of nitrogen or phosphorus mobilization, depending on the location, depending on the weather. That allows to understand what are the needs that right now to cover at biological level, and also to fit that needs and adding that need, we need to protect biodiversity. That's the other metric that we are putting on the table. The way that I see the future is big crop technology is growing and growing all the days in order to provide that information. Information is power because allow you to take decisions not based on the specific tradition, if not in a specific metrics. And with metrics on the hand, it's possible to improve more quickly the different dimensions, especially the soil health dimension, that we are taking care about that. Certainly really interesting stuff. It's an example, I think, of being able to reward farmers for the hard work that they're doing in demonstrating the benefits that, that they are bringing back to the soil now that everybody is focusing so much on soil health. Now, I'm sure our listeners are interested in learning more. I imagine your website will have loads of information. It's at biomakers.com. So do go there, listeners, if you want to get some more information. But for now, Alberto, it's been fascinating talking to with you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for this opportunity. It's a super nice pleasure to be with you here. As ever, the Innovation Forum website is the place to go for all the latest analysis and interviews. And don't forget to complete Innovation Forum's trend survey via the link in the description. I promise it takes only a few minutes, and the more of us that take part, the more interesting the results that we'll share with participants will be. But that's it for now. I've been Neil Welsh, and until next week, goodbye. Mm-hmm.